Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast with me, Ken Davis. Sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high quality battery cell production and R&D. Delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimizing energy use. Episode 17, Niobium as a disrupting element in advanced lithium ion batteries. One of the most intriguing aspects of the battery industry is the emergence of new elements, which may provide the enabling chemistry to propel battery performance to the next level. One such element I keep encountering is niobium and its reputed ability to allow for the development of materials with faster charging capabilities, higher energy densities and improved safety. So, Niobium, chemical symbol NB, atomic number 41. It's been used in steel production and superconductivity applications for years, but it's the potential ability to transform the performance of batteries which is attracting headlines. So it's about time I got to know Niobium a little better. And to help me do this, I'm joined by Zach Bergman of CBMM, the Brazilian company who are at the forefront of developing niobium as a battery material. I am very pleased to be joined by Zach Bergman of CBMN to talk about niobium, specifically its use as an innovative battery material. So firstly, welcome, Zach, to the Battery Technology Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, as always, it's probably a good idea just to get our understanding of your own background in the industry maybe learn a little bit more about cbmm and then we can get into the chemistry of niobium hi thanks for having me um my background is actually in mechanical engineering but been working in the battery space for a number of years now uh, previously working for cathode companies and other uh, anode and active material companies as well um i've been working for cbmm here in europe for uh, not that long, just four or five months now, but um, I'm responsible for the business development of our battery business in Europe and also in North America. And CBMN, if I understand it correctly, Brazilian company, uh, any information about uh, your scale of that business, where they're based, kind of size of that business? Well, it's quite a large company. It's around 2,000 employees, most of which are in Brazil. But then we have a global footprint of kind of sales and network of technology supporting and sales offices here in Europe, uh, in Asia, and in North America. It's predominantly a, consider ourselves a technology company because although we're predominantly a mining company, we mine Nobium um, from the ground of our mine in Brazil. But what we have been doing for pretty much the whole his- history of CBMM is working with partners to develop different uses for Niobium. So, and is CBMM uh, exclusively involved in niobium, or, or are they also interested in in other in other mineralogy? So CBMM is pretty much focused on niobium, so that's that's the main thing that we pull out of our mine, and then we're looking at you know a wealth of different applications for niobium and how we can develop that technology in in different areas. It's historically been mostly focused on the steel industry over the last forty years or so, um, and now increasingly looking at battery technologies and, and other novel applications as well let's start with the basics then so if you could kind of introduce us please to the element that is niobium uh, what's its chemistry what is it about its chemistry that lends itself to use in batteries it's a it's an element that's found naturally it was discovered 
1801 by an English chemist called Charles Hatchett. Um, but it hasn't been used that widely in the, that kind of 200 years or so. It was only really around the middle of the 20th century that research into novium started to increase and we started to find kind of more applications for it. Now, what is it that makes niobium special? It has a number of different properties um, that make it particularly useful in things like battery applications. Uh, for example, the space in the structure allows lithium ions to enter more quickly compared to other materials. Um, so the niobium intercalates with the lithium. Um, and this also means while the lithium intercalates, it changes the oxidization state of the niobium, which moves it from something which is not very conductive into something which is much more conductive. So the more lithium ions pass in, the more conductive it becomes. And then you end up with um, niobium, different forms of niobium oxide, which have a much more conductive and much more useful in different applications. It's got this kind of multiple valence state in terms of its crystalline structure, if I've done my research correctly. So which gives it some fairly unique properties in the way it can be potentially used in batteries. Hey, that's exactly right, yeah. So tell us more about its mineralogy. So, so things like the geology, where it's found, how is it mined, its ease of extraction, the kind of process that you need to go through that once it's extracted, that it's purified by. So just interested to know the actual um process from extraction all the way through to battery grade use um one of the things that's a bit of a misnomer is because nobium's not very widely used people think that it's particularly rare it's, it's not it's not the most common element on there but it's also not the rarest either there's more than 85 known deposits of nobium worldwide but the reason why more of them haven't been commercialized is because the demand isn't there at the moment um so as the demand for nobium increases we, we expect to see more of these sites being commercialized. Um, the mine that CBMM have is in Brazil. And what's what makes the metal particularly easy to access is that the nobium is on the surface. Um, we don't have a deep pit mine. We don't need to use any explosives to do any of the mining. You can just pull the, 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 the mineral right off the surface of, of uh, the land there. Um, why, why this mine? Okay, so we have a slightly higher average purity than a lot of other mines. Um, there's two different types of ore that niobium is usually found in. There's columbite tantalite, which is roughly 50-50 between niobium and tantalum. But this is normally mined for tantalum because tantalum is, has a higher value than niobium. Um, or what our mine contains, which is pyrochlor, um, which is richer in niobium, and where most of the other niobium mines are also mined from pyrochlor. Now, the concentration isn't that high. It's typically between 1% to 6%. Um, so we get an average of around 2.5% out of our mine. So obviously, it has to be processed quite a lot. And it goes through yeah, more than a dozen different processing steps where we move the, from the rock through many different levels of purification, taking a lot of the contaminants out, such as sulfur, um, until eventually we get back to um, the main product for CBMM, which is a ferroniobium product. And then when we're talking about battery grade applications, then it's further refined again in some more additional process steps to reach different kinds of niobium oxides. And then finally, we have a, quite a wide range of different niobium oxides where we've tweaked the properties to be useful in different kinds of battery applications. Right. So the niobium which is being supplied, the battery industry is being supplied in the form of a variety of niobium oxides. Correct. Yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. 
Reliability, simplicity and calmness with your critical measurements in battery manufacturing with Visala. Visit visala.com battery for world-class measurements and technologically best suited products for ultra-dry condition. Visala. We know dry. Okay, so let's let's start to dig a little bit deeper into its use in batteries. I mean, as, as far as I understand it, it, it can be used both on the cathode side of electrochemistry and on the anode side of electrochemistry in terms of its use. So, I mean, could you just give me a, a little bit more? Let's start with the cathode side and then we'll move to the anode side. But just if you can give me a little bit more on that, that'd be useful. Yeah, sure. So obviously there's the cathode and the anode, the two sides to the battery. And what's interesting about niobium is its use as a very conductive metal um, means that it can be used in both cathode and anode. So on the cathode side, it's used typically as a dopant in a quite small percentage. So you dope yeah, typically less than 1% into a cathode, um, either as a dopant or as a coating material. And what this does is this provides stability to the cathode active material. Um, so you can have from a wide range of different types of cathode active material, from high nickel materials such as NMC or NCA through to LMFP or LMO. Um, and we're yeah, currently exploring the uses of niobium in, in many different cathode active materials. On the anode side, it's, it's slightly different. So you often hear people talk about NMC, LFP, and, and quite a wide range of different cathode materials, but kind of in recent in recent times, the anode hasn't quite got as much attention. Um, what's typically used is graphite. But there, there are obviously other anode materials. People starting to hear people talk about silicon more. Um, LTO is another anode material which is used. Um, and what niobium can be used in niobium dominant anodes. So whether niobium is you know up to 90% of the anode active material, and you have materials such as niobium titanium oxide um, or NTO which is, as I mentioned, the majority of it is niobium. And what that has is properties that allow for very fast charging, high power anodes. And the, the use of that is, so rather than having uh, graphite, which can hold a relatively high amount of en energy density within the material, but because of the structure, it's not able to get lithium ions aren't able to pass into the structure as quickly as they do for NTO. So this means that you can have a material which charges and discharges much more quickly and also is able to reach a much more higher number of cycles. So for example, graphite, you might be looking at five to 10,000 cycles over the life of the battery, whereas we're looking at 20, 30, even 50,000 cycles for a niobium-based anode. Let's jump back to the cathode side of it for a moment. One of the things that interested me, particularly when I was doing research into this episode, was it's the capacity of niobium to potentially, partially at least, replace the dependency on cobalt. Everybody involved in this industry knows the environmental and social issues that surround cobalt. But to what extent niobium can be an answer to some of the issues that we see around cobalt? As I mentioned before, the, when you use it in the cathode side, niobium can be used as a protective layer to, to stabilize the cathode material. And how it does that is it basically sits on the surface of the cathode material and protects it from side reactions, um, which can make the material uh, increase the impedance of the material and leads to further heating and destabilization. Um, what makes niobium very effective at this is the niobium is on the surface of the 
the cathode active material. And when the lithium intercalates, it forms lithium niobate. Lithium niobate is a really conductive material, um, which makes it particularly, not only is it protecting the, the cathode from side reactions, but it's also um, allowing it to have good electrochemical conductivity. Whereas if you have a, it's obviously a bit of a balance between protecting and also allowing, making sure that the material is conductive. Now, cobalt is one of the materials that's been used historically in this for quite a long time um, because it has good properties. But you, while you would use quite a high percentage of cobalt to stabilize the material and to make sure that it's still conduct, you can use a much smaller amount of niobium to achieve the same result. So where you'd be using several percent of cobalt, you can use less than 1% of niobium and to still achieve the same or even an improved result versus cobalt. Interesting. And, and we'll come back a little bit later, I think, to explore the environmental impacts of, uh, of niobium. And obviously, you've got to set that in comparison to what it might be replacing, which has got some significant issues. So again, just moving back to the kind of anode side of it, one of the things I was reading about was the potential for niobium to eliminate or certainly mitigate some of the safety issues associated with the growth of lithium dendrites and obviously safety is always a big issue when we're talking about you know ev batteries, and and therefore i'm i'm interested to what degree and how how niobium is able to do that and whether what i was reading about that actually is the case yeah so that's right what uh niobium anodes are intrinsically very safe and the reason why that is is because um, they have a, a different voltage window to graphite. So if you have an NTO or an, another niobium-based chemistry, the minimum voltage is much higher. It's around one and a half volts. But the cause of lithium plating is when the material is discharging with, say, graphite or another kind of material, the voltage goes right down so that it's close to zero volts. And this is what causes the, the lithium plating. Well, this is when the lithium plating can occur. You end up with a buildup of lithium ions on the surface of the graphite. And especially when you have higher C rates, um, the lithium ions are trying to pass more quickly through the material. There's a greater probability that they're going to not be able to pass through and build, and build up on the surface. And then that's what leads to instability and, um, event, and possible thermal runaway. Whereas with the niobium, because of the higher voltage, the lithium plating just doesn't occur. And that means that you can cycle the material much more quickly without that risk of that um, lithium plating and that thermal runaway. I, I suppose the three things that all battery manufacturers are looking for, fast charging capability, higher energy density, improved safety. Potentially, niobium has got some answers that talk to all of those three particular areas. Yeah, so I, I would say with batteries, it's always a balance, right? The, you, there's no such thing as the perfect battery that has high, high energy density and super fast charging. Um, and honestly, if people say that they do have that, it, it's there, there's always a trade-off, right? So where the niobium anode technology is, is, is really strong is extremely safe and very high fast charging. So you can have C rates of you know, up to 20C, which means charging in you know, close to a minute. Um, now, that does come with a bit of a trade-off on the energy density, um, but the same as any kind of battery, you, you can design the battery to be more leaning towards energy density or more leaning towards super-fast charging. And the space that niobium anodes plays is significantly more towards the, 
the fast charging side of the spectrum. But when you compare it to other technologies such as LTO, which is an, another anode material which has extremely fast charging, it has a much higher energy density than LTO, around twice as high. Um, and it still achieves that fast charging. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate your time wherever you are in the world. And I hope you're enjoying this regular update across the battery development industry as much as we are producing it. But when I'm not producing podcasts, my day job is running events around the world in lots of different technical fields. And I'm very pleased to announce that I and my colleague David Reeks, who runs the hugely successful Battery Tech Expo in the UK and Sweden and France, well, we're launching a new event, the Gigafactory and Battery Technology Expo, to be held in Huntsville, Alabama, USA, in June 2025, right in the heart of the rapidly expanding Battery Belt, this new epicenter of battery development where there's huge investment taking place in both gigafactories and supporting battery technology. We're very excited about it. And there's more details in the show notes about how to find out more. So are there any downsides? If, the, if there's battery developers listening to this podcast thinking, right, we need to know more about this niobium element. It's clearly got some advantages. Are there any disadvantages? Are there any things that actually are particular challenges, if you like, for, for companies who are thinking of adopting a niobium-based chemistry? Sure. I mean, like I said, I, I think the, the main point is that there's, there's a trade-off with respect to the energy density. You're, you're not going to be it's pretty unlikely that we're going to see um, a large volume of niobium-based anodes in in electric vehicles because people what people want is a car that can go 600, 800 kilometers. Um, whereas if you had a niobium-based battery that could go that far, it, the battery would be significantly larger than, than something that you'd see in a car today. But the trade-off of that is you can have a car which goes less far, which you charge more often. It's about having the right battery for the right application, right? Just a thought on that, actually, uh, and, it, and it brings us to a slightly different uh, area. In terms of the, the, the cost of niobium, in, and, and I'm talking about here in comparison to some of, the, some of the other elements, I mean, can you give us an idea of what we're talking about there, uh, obviously in, in, in terms of comparative costs between niobium and what it might be substituting? Yeah, so when you look at um, niobium and you're comparing it to uh, other metals it, that such, such as cobalt or also in the steel industry, we often compare them to aluminium and, and other metals that are used as dopants. It, some of the metals, niobium is, is more expensive on a per kilo, but then the point is that you would use less niobium, especially when you're talking about doping, you use a very small amount. Um, on the anode side, yeah, again, if you were to look at the anode active material, if you're talking about price per energy density, then the cost is going to be higher than graphite, certainly. Um, but if you change that the way you look at it to a uh, power density, for example, so you're talking about the power output that you can get per unit volume or per unit weight, which is important for things like hybridization or high power applications like cranes, um, then the cost is actually comparable or even lower than, than other materials. Interesting. And, and what about the kind of stability of commodity pricing in relation to because uh, we do see you know, significant variances in commodity prices for some of these mi minerals, and we've seen it over the last few years. What's the 
trajectory? What's the stability of niobium pricing from a from a commodity pricing perspective? One of the the benefits that we have with niobium or with CBMM's supply of niobium is that we it's not a publicly traded it's not a traded metal. Um, so it's not traded on the stock exchange, which means that the price is much more stable. And um, because we have very good visibility of the, the cost of producing myobium, we have a supply of niobium for more than 100 years at our current site in Brazil. Um, and we know, we know where it is and how much it's going to cost to take it out of the ground. So this means the price is much more stable. You've seen in recent years, um, probably in the news, lithium nickel prices really soaring and then coming back down again. Um, and the, yeah, this is a challenge for battery manufacturers because obviously the instability adds additional cost and it adds risk. What we can do for our customers is we can say, look, we can we can give you a, a projection out for several years um, on the cost of niobium and, and give you some certainty in that so you don't have to take that risk. It's an interesting point. I mean, commodity price instability is you know, strategically very, very important issue. So where are you on the road to commerciality i mean in the sense of are, are we talking today a scenario whereby your niobium is actually being used in battery materials of battery grade or are you on the path to commerciality just give us a sense of in terms of where are you in relation to the battery industry sure so on the cathode side um we're already selling um niobium as a dopant for lmo um and we're already selling it we started selling it for lmfp as well last year um, and these are now starting to scale up to an increasingly large scale. And we're currently speaking to several different partners about looking at high nickel chemistries and other chemistries as well. So some of them are, are commercial and, and scaling up, and some of them are, are close. Um, and on the anode side, again, we're working with a, a number of partners quite closely who are getting, yeah, as I say, really close. So we're um, we're not, we don't have any commercial products in the market at the moment, but we're going to start to see some coming from from this year and and then into the future we see a huge a huge growth in this um we already saw a 500% increase in niobium oxide sales just for battery applications in the last 4 years um and cbmm expects to grow the market 20 to 30 times by 2030 so that's yeah we're seeing some real increases the technology starts to mature and we move from kind of quite advanced R&D into actually hitting the market commercialization. Very good. One of the things I'm always interested in any aspect of battery chemistry is the environmental impact of its extraction, the environment, the social environment, environmental impacts of, of its processing and ultimately its capacity for recycling. One of the Historically, with the larger application of niobium has been in steel. When you compare it to other metals that are used in steel, we have a, a significantly reduced CO2 footprint or LCA for those metals, often by you know around 10 times lower than things like manganese or cobalt or nickel. Um, on the battery side specifically, one of our partners has, has done a study um, for the anode active material and comparing the niobium dominant anode material to LTO, which is a comparison that is, is kind of quite usually is typically done. We found that the, the there were two to three times lower um, CO2 emissions associated with the niobium anode compared to the LTO anode um, at the cell level. Um, 
And I think there's a there's another side as well is that we touched on earlier about having the right battery for the right application. So some one thing that having a very small high power battery allows you to do is to right size the battery. So in lots of applications, people might have a larger battery than they need just to get the power output that is only needed you know, that is needed sometimes in the application. Um, so by having fast charging and higher power batteries, that allows you to downsize the battery to have smaller batteries that are the right size for the application that you really need it, um, rather than having a much larger battery, which means you've got to dig much more minerals out of the ground. And I think that's also a, quite an important thing that's sometimes overlooked is ha having the, the right battery for the job rather than having you know, more batteries than we need. And it's particularly useful in you know, something like uh, an industrial application where you have a forklift. You could have a forklift that you maybe have a cheaper battery in there, but it's larger and it needs to be charged overnight but then you can't operate the, the forklift in two shifts or you'd need two batteries or you have a fast charging battery which can be charged in minutes when you have a break between shift and then you can use the same battery 24 hours a day and just charge it in short breaks does that suggest then that niobium has particular relevance to certain market segments yeah that's right so obviously talking about the anode side here on the cathode side we see it in a, a very wide range of applications but in charge of yeah. the, the fast charging anodes it's optimized for generally really high use cases so places you know things where you've got to think of the, the total cost of ownership so where, where you're using equipment you know at a higher use than maybe you would if you're a, a consumer um, so industrial vehicles things that are being operated especially 24 hours or yeah with a high usage then you start to see the benefit of the much higher cycle life and also the higher power in, again, industrial heavy applications. So just coming back to this thing about recycling, is there, I mean, you're at very early stages in terms of, of, its, of its use within, within batteries, but I mean, it's something that I guess we've all got to be aware of. Is niobium an easy element to recycle, a difficult one? I mean, what's the, what's the thinking around that subject? Sure. So it's obviously something that is is very important and something which we've been looking at closely. But as I mentioned before, as we're just starting to get to this commercialization, that there isn't much niobium in the market at the moment. So there's not the, the demand to have that recycling in place. So we, yeah, we've been looking at the at the recycling of it, and we've been doing you know a lot of early studies, um, but we're not there yet. Um, but from a kind of fundamental chemistry point of view, it's it's not a difficult element to recycle. Um, we've been working with niobium in different forms and different purities for decades, and you know our chemists are very confident that we, we it is a, it's it's definitely possible to recycle it. We know that the question is just how are we going to recycle it? What's going to be the most efficient route? How do you see? the role of niobium developing over that period of time? And what are the kind of future developments that you've got in mind at CBMN for, for the use of niobium? Yes, yeah, so I think one of the, the biggest kind of tr trends that everyone is talking about at the moment is, is solid state batteries. Um, yeah. So we're already involved in quite a lot of research, especially on the, the cathode side, looking at solid state battery applications. Um, and niobium is, is a really great, um, coating material specifically for solid state applications because um, the stability of the interface is extra important when you have a solid state um, battery compared to a, a normal liquid electrolyte. Um, so I think that we're going to see an increase in uh, coatings specifically for solid state applications where the, really the niobium is 
better able to protect the interface than many other coatings, but also it has that higher conductivity, which makes it very well suited. Well, that sounds like a perfect place to uh, thank you very much indeed for taking us through atomic number 41, which is niobium. Uh, it's been a really interesting journey. It's something I, I, I was, was keen to uh, understand because I keep seeing it uh, when I'm doing some research on the battery side of things. And uh, I really appreciate you taking us through that, Zach. That's been a very interesting uh, journey through that particular element. Thanks very much, Ken. Yeah, and there's a there's a bunch more papers that we have. I don't know if um I don't know if you want want to share them in the notes or anything. But if if people want to do more reading on this topic, there's a a lot of research that's been done um, by academic and also industry partners out there. So I could have talked a lot longer, but I think it's a bit too much detail maybe to go into in a podcast. We will do that, and I'll make sure that in the show notes there's uh, there's a couple of links to some of the papers that you're referring to there. So if people do want to find out a little bit more about uh, the specific chemistry of niobium and how it is you know, potentially uh, quite a significant impact element in relation to battery materials, uh, they can do that. So thanks again, Zach. It's been a real pleasure to see you. Thanks very much. The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted GSE Media Limited production. For more details of how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com. <laughs>